This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Craven Diner. The Craven Diner. Bon appetit, bitch. My name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's Mother's Day on Pod Cemetery with 1989's A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, and 2016's Under the Shadow. We are continuing the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Uh, this is actually on the list, but shout-outs to Marcus, who also recommended that we do this for Mother's Day. We agree. It is a great idea to do this for Mother's Day. <laughs> yes, unfortunately. That's why it was on the list. <laughs> it's not a great movie. Oh, yeah. Well, let's get there right now. 1989's A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, our classic film this Mother's Day week. Directed by Stephen Hopkins, with a screenplay by Leslie Boehm. Story by John Skip, Craig Spector, and Leslie Boehm. Based, of course, on characters by Wes Craven, starring Robert Englund, Lisa Wilcox, and Kelly Jo Minter. Kelsey, what's A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child, all about? Well, in the last film, if you remember, Alice was able to defeat Freddy in her dreams, right? Yep. In a weird sort of like turned a mirror on him thing. She has a new power. <laughs> Who can remember? They but, just keep at it's so convoluted at this point. But remember that she has the ability to control her dreams and doesn't have to she can outwit him, basically. So the question is how is he back? Well, he's back through her unborn child's dreams. I guess he's just kind of been inside of her this entire time. It's like he's stuck inside of her. Yeah, and now he's getting power because her unborn child can dream. It's bizarre. Kelly Jo Minter we've had on the show before. She was in People Under the Stairs. She was like the main kid's older sister or whatever. Back at the house. She's Oh, she's the one that the talks end. about the tarot cards and I think stuff. so, yeah. The f- she's the one that calls him the fool. Yeah. And there's contention as to who was the first person to think about giving Freddie a child. Was it executive producer Sarah Risher, who's been involved in several other Nightmare movies, who was pregnant during the production, I think, of part three and had a young child at this point and felt like the child was very... Omen-esque, <laughs> Damien-like. I really think that I came up with the story because I was a new mother and I was consumed by my child who could very possibly have been the devil. He had omen-type qualities. A creepy boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And had that idea, you know, her, obviously her life was being dominated by being a mother. Okay, great. But then there's also Leslie Boehm who wrote a treatment for part three which, as we know, would eventually become Dream Warriors. So I'm glad he didn't get his script through, but his script was, what if Freddy was a dad? 
And then he mentions how there was an executive there who was pregnant at the time. And he told them, like, imagine that was Freddy in there clawing to get out or whatever, right? How creepy that would be. By his account, that was why he didn't get it. It's because he creeped out the pregnant executive about a, about her baby. And I think there's a possibility. This is just me speculating. I think that was Sarah Risher, who now claims to be the person who insisted that Freddie have a child. Mm. So I don't know what the real story is. It's just both of them saying, I came up with this idea. No, I came up with this idea. Mm. It's probably a little bit of both. Maybe. You know, it's probably he mentioned it for three and she's like, ugh. But then she had her kid and was like, oh my god, this boy is creepy. And then insisted that the fifth one be about that. The boy is creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, you can watch it with a subscription to HBO Max and Sci-Fi. You can rent it for three to four dollars or buy it for ten. Of course, avoiding Redbox where it's $11 or Voodoo where it's 15 for some reason. And I'm sure you can get it as part of a collection as well. Should people watch A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child? <laughs> Only if it's important that you watch the whole series. Exactly. Otherwise, th- no. It's not going to be the last one we're going to say that for. No. But... Yes, very much. If you, like, just want to watch the good ones, avoid this one. Yes. As a matter of fact, just forget about Freddy. No, there's one more good Freddy movie. Yes. There's one more good Freddy movie. But we are on the downhill end of this story. Mm -hmm. Freddy's getting bad. Uh, Four was still kind of okay, if I remember correctly. One through four are all decent and or good for different reasons. Right. And then this is just bad. <laughs> yeah, this is well this is definitely oh no and yeah. then and then <laughs> and then 6 hits comes crashing into the ground. 7 does its best to drag it up from the dregs uh-huh. and then Freddy versus Jason just said fuck it. <laughs> right. It it's Something else. By this point, they've made Freddy just, he's just a caricature of himself, right? He says bitch all the time, and that's like his only thing. He's not funny, he's not creepy, he just says bitch. (laughs) And you're like, oh, look at silly Freddy at this point, you know? He's an 800 number, he has a rap song out, like, you know, that's who Freddy is now. Oh, he's a host of a TV show, and... For better or worse, that's what kind of became of him at this point, for worse. Now, on top of that, imagine that these are some of the worst kills in the entire franchise, at least up to this point. Mm-hmm. These are some terrible kills, and there's by all also, accounts... There's also a really creepy one. Yeah. There's one that is I don't like. But by all accounts, there were some really good kills originally, but they were forced to cut them down or take out the idea entirely, and so that's kind of a bummer. But then again, there's only three of them. Yeah. There are only three kills in the entire movie. Yeah, so they all are, like, ridiculously long. Like, the sequences are way too or long. They're, or they're cut short, too, like, on top of that. <laughs> like, when just when they're getting kind of good. Like, the Greta one, which we'll talk about. I think, is that the one that's creepy to you? Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. Well, we'll get to it. Just don't watch it. Have us describe it to you. Mm-hmm. 
You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1989's A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. When it comes to terror, Freddy knows best. <laughs> now, Freddy delivers. It's a boy! I don't know how, but now he's back! His greatest masterpiece. Better not dream and drive! A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. The party just starts. Rated R. Starts Friday, August 11th at theaters everywhere. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child begin? With some interesting choices for some sexy shots. Yeah. It's hard to tell what body parts you're looking at. It's not even our guy. So it's supposed to be Alice and her boyfriend getting it on this is her getting pregnant mm-hmm. not even him just nope. some model dude <laughs> body double the one who plays super freddy yeah the guy who plays super freddy later on in the movie and then she finishes up and goes to take a shower and some really nasty water starts coming up out of the drain don't no. en- don't enjoy that no. stuff. And she reaches down into it, and you're just like, ah. Yeah. No, but thank you. this being a Freddy movie, you, of course, know that this is a nightmare. So you're just waiting to see what happens. And it's kind of interesting. They fill up the shower with water. Yeah, uh-huh. And she basically eventually escapes, but then she finds herself in Freddy's asylum totally naked. <laughs> Yep. Until she's suddenly dressed as a nun, because she is going to play the part of... of Amanda Kruger. Yes, his mother. <sighs> this is not a fun scene. No! I mean, they try to make it, you know... Well, it's very like, creepy. Fun. Yeah, but I mean, you know what I mean? Like, they throw Robert Englund in there out of, out of makeup. But yeah, it is very creepy. It's a hundred dudes, as we know already... He is the bastard son of a hundred maniacs, and we get to basically see that up to a point mm-hmm. where the nurse nun, Amanda Kruger, is, I don't know, walking around these people. It's such a weird like idea. Why would she be down there by herself anyway? And then the two guys are just counting, and as soon as they go, ah, that's a hundred, sure, like, let's get out of here. It's like they're going for, like, a holiday or a weekend or something, right? Yeah, they're gonna be gone for, like, three days or here, something. Yeah, here's the problem. They're just gonna lock a hundred dudes up in a, in a room together for three days with no supervision and no, what, food or drink? Yeah, it's a very silly concept, but it is really creepy. Yeah, for sure. And But at the same time, like, I don't need... Like, I didn't need it the first time you told it to me, but at least right. I didn't have to see it before. Right. But so she eventually wakes up, and in her room, she has, like, a potted plant, but the pot is in jeans. So oh, yeah, there's like... just, like, a full pair of jeans. Like, a, like, imagine a mannequin wearing jeans, but it's just the pants. And then there's, like, a plant growing out of the top. Like, no, I wouldn't put it here in this house, but I kind of love it. But that is all you're going to look at when it is on screen. Yep, yep. You immediately see it. <laughs> 
but anyway, she's off to graduation. She's graduating from high school. And uh, her and her friends, apparently she has new friends. Yeah, just new friends. Because all of Well, all Dan of is the only died. one who lived. Yeah, so all of her friends died in the last movie, so now she just has new friends. Uh-huh. That's cool. At graduation, we have her boyfriend. We have Kelly Jo Minter. We have Greta, the model. And we have the fucking goober. What's his name? Mark. We also have her dad. Who who's has back cleaned from up the first act. one and actually cleaned up his act. Yeah. He's sober now. Uh-huh. Because remember, he was a dickhead. Yes. He was, like, abusive. Uh-huh. For no good reason, too. Well, because, like, he... The mom left, I, I think, is what happened. He was a single dad. Oh, yeah. And he was just mad about that. But so they're trying to plan their party that they're going to have at the pool that Kelly Jo Minter has a key to because she's Yvonne. on the di- dive team. She's on the diving team. And she's a nurse. Yes. Does she work at the diner, too? No. Okay. Greta works at the diner? No. Somebody else works at the diner. Somebody I feel like somebody we know works at the diner. Oh, no. Alice does, duh. Yeah. It's the same diner she worked at in the first one. So she tells her dad, who shows up at the ceremony, even though she didn't think he did, because he he's like, I didn't want to embarrass you. Uh-huh. So she tells him about the nightmare because he's aware of what happened. And she tells him, I'm really worried. I felt like I wasn't in control, which is not good. Yeah, because that's her whole thing. Is she has the power to control her dreams. Oh, they also take a picture, her and all of her friends. <sighs> yeah. Why do you sigh? I don't know. It's just a little cheesy. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking you have to get a picture of it. You have to take this still and show oh, it to everybody. Yeah, uh-huh. Because it's supposed to be, you know, really sad because you oh, know yeah. they're all about to die. They're all about to die. Except. Well, no. Three of them are about to die. <sighs> the only three people that die in this movie are going to be in this scene. Yes. Mm-hmm. In this picture. So her boyfriend tells her to call him when she gets her gets off her shift because she can't go straight to the party because she has to work. Well, somehow, between graduation and getting to work, she has a four-hour dream? Yeah, so this is the other thing now is, I wrote down, he can just do anything now. No sleep is needed, right? They're going to explain this. She's already pregnant, and she's using the baby's dreams to affect other people so there we got the power of to take people into dreams so what's her face had the power to bring people into her dreams i think alice has the power more control than that she has the power to put herself into people's dreams. and i think vice versa too and there's like sure her power is pretty big but anyway she is strong enough though to keep freddie in check but it's not her dreams that we're talking about anymore it's her baby's dreams and so her baby is dreaming for most of the day was the doctor say like up to 75 percent of the time they're dreaming or something like that like some crazy number as the fetus develops it can spend up to 70 percent of its day in a dream state more as it matures and so that's how he's doing it he's only going to get stronger as the movie goes on but this is how we get nightmares but nobody dying There's several of these moments where we're just getting nightmares, where people aren't even fucking sleeping. They're pulled into nightmares. Mm -hmm. And then they get out. Only a few of them actually die. 
Yeah, but I think this is the only one that lasts for four hours for some reason. Yeah, because the woman whose shift she's relieving is all pissed off at her. Yes. You're four hours late. Mm-hmm. I thought you were dead. You're four hours late. Four hours? In her dream, or I guess in her kid's dream, it's going to be like this, the, the asylum is like this massive place. Like, yes. it looks like fucking Hogwarts uh-huh. is what I wrote down. Yeah. It is very, very large. There is a really creepy carriage that they, a baby carriage that I thought they would do a lot more with than They'd they did. they bring it back for the end of the movie. Yeah. But it just kind of takes her... Kind of like how the little girl took Kristen in the third movie through the house. It's kind of leading her to this memory of, or I guess not memory, but took her to the time of Freddy's birth. Yeah. But because it's a dream, they can do anything. So it ends up being this really creepy creature coming out of her. And she's like, that's no yeah, creature it's a baby of God. Freddy. It's already like pre-burned and all that. Yeah. yeah. And then it like destroys a church. We also get the line, It's a boy! Yes, which is in the trailer, I believe. Alice is totally taken aback. She's like, wait a minute, you can't come back. I got rid of you. But as Freddy is basically telling her, you're pregnant, but she just does not figure it out. Uh Uh-huh. But then the mom shows up. Amanda Kruger shows up. And she's like, I will not let you destroy this earth again or whatever. We find out that supposedly Amanda Kruger is the only thing that Freddy is afraid of. His mommy. Happy Mother's Day, folks. Yes. And he and he says to her, we'll see, bitch. Yeah, there's our first of two or three bitches in this movie. I thought this one was kind of funny myself. I mean, Welcome to Primetime, bitch, was like the first one. It was the first one. And it was great. But I, I honestly think that it kind of ruined the franchise. Like, it dictated the direction that Freddy went in the next two movies. Three movies. He's still goofy and Freddy's dead, right? Yeah, but you got the fucking Nintendo kill in that one. Oh, you're saying he was goofy in the one You know, bitch. It. Oh, bitch. Like, uh, Terry Knives for Hands, Knives for Fingers or whatever from uh, Legally the Distinct uh, spoof from Rick and Morty. Oh, yes. Oh, Bitch. <laughs> Why don't you tell the whole class the proper wordplay to use when one is chasing one's victim through a pumpkin patch? Oh, um, bitch. Oh, come on, Terry. You can't think of a pun involving pumpkins, bitch. Hey, yo, Scary T, don't even trip about your pants, dog. Here's a pair on us, fool. Oh, bitch. Meanwhile, back at the party... That's going on at the pool. Yeah, man. Everybody's having a good time. Just a big party in a school pool. (laughs) But then Greta's got to go because she's got her mom's making her like her mom's the super neurotic lady who totally runs her life and wants her to be this famous model. Uh huh. And Dan is going to leave to go pick up Alice. Yeah. We also learn at this pool party that Mark is afraid of blood. And I thought that was going to go somewhere. It doesn't go anywhere. Nope. He has a very California voice to him. I don't know what he's doing in, what is this, Indiana or whatever, where all this takes place? I don't know. But yes, he does have a California vibe. <laughs> he's very Keanu Reeves. Oh, I was thinking, Like a young Keanu Reeves. I was thinking more of Max from Hocus Pocus. 
No, yes. I mean, like, the look, but, like, the way he talks is very young Keanu Reeves. Oh, yeah. It's almost like he's going for that vibe. <laughs> but so, yeah, Dan is going to leave to go pick up Alice. And, oh, this scene is way too long. Too many things happen. First of all, Dan's not asleep. <laughs> he goes to sleep when he gets pulled into this dream. Yeah, and he's driving. He's driving. In his dream, he is unable to control the car. Freddy takes over the car uh-huh. and makes him, I think, like, hit a car or hit a giant semi or something. Remember, he gets in, like, an accident? He gets in an accident, And then yeah. suddenly he's okay. And I remember I was like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, he's And then back. he gets back into his car, which then turns into a Oh, that's a what it is. He gets into the accident, flies out of his truck, crashes back into the pool, but the pool is empty. He runs outside and grabs the motorcycle. Now, this is all part of the dream. He's never woken up at any point. Yes. And then he's driving, and then the motorcycle turns into Freddy, and then the motorcycle consumes him. Like the, I mean, the way the guy described it is they say, like, he's Iron Man. Obviously, well, maybe not so obviously anymore. I don't think they're talking about Marvel's Iron Man. I think they're talking about the 1989 Japanese movie Tetsuo, the Iron Man. That's exactly what I thought of when I saw it. Yeah, it came out the same year. Interesting. That's exactly what I thought of when I saw it. But yeah, and he has some, Freddie has some bad lines here. He says that the guy feels the need for speed. Well, because the dude's dad said that. I guess because he's a football player, right? I don't know. They just wedged in there, like shoehorned in. Finest quarterback in the state, you know what they say. This boy feels the need for speed. He feels the need for speed. This says better not dream and drive. And I'm just like, this is so bad. Right. He's, He's nothing but quips now and the quips aren't funny. They're just puns and not good ones. But so then he actually does wake up and he actually is in his car and he does get in an accident and it just happens to be right in front of the restaurant where Alice works uh-huh. and that causes her to faint because she's pregnant, which you will find out from her friend at the hospital. But guys, Dan is dead and you're pregnant. <laughs> yeah, but like you're this having scene, his baby. This dream sequence just went on for way too long. Too many things were happening, and it wasn't interesting to watch. And apparently it was much more graphic, and and they showed much more of the transformation on the motorcycle. I feel like they should have taken out the scene where the car is taken over. Yeah, just go right to the motorcycle. motorcycle. It would have been better. I mean, yeah, you could have had him even just get in the truck, try to start the truck, and it doesn't start, and he takes the motorcycle or whatever. You know, I don't know. I guess they needed to give him a reason to steal a motorcycle. If his truck wasn't working, he wouldn't just steal somebody's motorcycle. Maybe that's... I don't know. (laughs) So Kelsey's talking about all this stuff, how the dream just goes on and on and on. One of the things we get when he's first in the truck and first gets in the accident is that Freddy's in the truck with him, and then he takes the champagne that Dan got for Alice, he pops it, He pours the champagne on his shoulder, which acts as acid, melting through his sweater and his arm, allowing him to rip his own arm off and then stick it up in the corner of the cab that that they're in, the truck cab that they're in, and then use his clawed hand as if it's like a seatbelt. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's very odd. And that's when he gets into the crash that sends him flying through the windshield and then into the pool again and no one's there. It's like, what? why is any of this happening? 
It's not like it's crazy, but not in a fun, inventive way. It's just like, uh, I don't know. Then he rips his arm off. He just rips his arm off. Well, he, he pours the champagne on him and it melts his arm. What? What? <laughs> and then he that makes it stick. And it, the claw is like a belt buckle. What? <laughs> so dumb. Yes, I agree. I wish I had been there for that conversation when Uh they made that decision. But so she's at the hospital, and suddenly this little boy appears in her room. And he's like, my name's Jacob. And she's like, I've always loved that name. This fucking kid. The kid from Jurassic Park. The kid, the raptor boy from Jurassic Park. Yeah, not the little boy. (laughs) Yeah. the (laughs) The dude who gets his... Who gets simulated gut ripping. <laughs> yes. Here and here. <laughs> Whit Hertford is his name. Suitably creepy, I would say. I think he did an okay job in he this movie. He did an okay job. Until the very end and they needed him to do a, like, a Freddy voice. Oh, yeah. It was so stupid. Mm, it was bad. But yes, this is... I guess the spirit of her baby grown up and specifically that old... I could have been any age, could have been an adult, could have been just a straight up baby, could have been a toddler that just learned how to walk. There's no... They needed a kid that was at least somewhat able to emote. Right. Like, that's the... Like, it's for the needs of the movie. Yes. There's no reason in this world, in this lore, why her kid would be showing up, why her unborn child would be showing up as this kid. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. But so she is telling all of her friends about all of this stuff, and her friends, especially Kelly Jo Minter, really don't want her to talk about it or think about it. Right. They're like, this is, that's all in your head. You're going to make yourself go crazy. Forget about it. Yeah. It's not until Mark gets pulled into one of her dreams that he even starts to believe her, but that's not till later. Mm-hmm. Before that happens, Greta is going to have her death scene, which is very creepy, very hard to watch. But also truncated. Like, the f- again, kind of like the Iron Man death scene uh, from before. There's a lot leading up to it that's just weird and nonsensical. And then when it gets time for the really good stuff, the actual kill, it's, you know, one or two action beats. And then he just stabs her and she's dead. You know what I mean? Like it. I imagine that the original cut was a lot worse. I thought she choked to death. Yeah, but then he he sticks his claw into her stomach. And I think what was supposed to happen is he was then supposed to feed her to herself. Didn't that already happen in one of the movies? No, I think this is the one. I mean, we've seen this franchise a couple times now. Yeah. So we might just be remembering this. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, she dies. She gets these big prosthetic cheeks on her face, and it's this he feeds real surrealist her to death, which is moment. a really creepy way to die, especially while all these people are laughing. Yeah, well, because like in the real world, she is at, at a, a dinner. dinner party. She's fallen asleep at the dinner table, and, but she's got like her her elbows up, like she's hanging there like a marionette, and then she's like convulsing. Mm-hmm. And it's really could you Im- like that would be terrifying. Yes. Like, that's good. Agreed. No, I think this is a good scene. Uh Uh-huh. I think that this scene is too good for this movie. (laughs) And meanwhile, Alice will see her death from her fridge, which, again, I thought was a pretty cool... That was cool, too, where she comes out of the fridge. Not the fridge, but the fridge door. Not the fridge itself. The fridge itself is kind of lame. It's... 
it's claymation and it's not great claymation. But her coming out of the fridge door is a really creepy move. And I thought that was well done. And then Freddy comes out of the fridge and grabs her in order to pull it closed. Alice knows what's happening, tries to stop it, but she can't. That was actually pretty cool. I liked that a lot. Mm -hmm. The scene where she's talking to her two remaining friends, (laughs) Kelly Jo Minter and Mark. During the scene, I wrote down, God, this writing is really bad. This is terrible. And... Mark Mark. is particularly bad, I must say. Yeah, and I don't think it's the acting. I really do think it's the writing. Just hang in there, Yvonne. Man, I know Mark's gonna be wigging out. We just gotta keep tight. We'll get through, okay? Hey! Mark, you okay? I'm fine, just aces. I want to talk to you guys about Greta. Oh, I'm terribly sorry, but Greta's dead today. Perhaps we could, uh, interest you in someone else. Look, it was an accident, just like Dan. No accident. And he explains, you know, well, because Kelly Jo Minter is, like, saying that this is all bullshit, stop talking about it, Freddy doesn't exist. And that's when Mark is gonna be like, no, maybe we should talk about it. Two of our friends died in two days, don't you think that's a little weird? Also, he was, like, in love with Greta, so he's really upset. he's very upset. And so he will have a nightmare, and he's an artist, so he's drawn this house, and Alice will see him walking in his dream house, so she will draw draw herself into the drawing. Yeah. Which was an odd way to do it, considering she never had to do anything physical before. Right. But, I mean, it was interesting, just not for this universe. It was interesting that she had to draw herself into the dream. And I hated that we didn't get to see what happened to him, because when she finds him, it's like his hands are being just, like, sucked down into a hole. And I'm like, that's really boring for this great setup of being in a drawn world. Yeah. Like, you could do so much, and that's what they chose to do. And even when we do finally get the death scene, all that happens is he turns into a paper version of himself and gets ripped to shreds. And I was like, that's super boring. He turns into his own superhero, which, ah, ah, it's Dream Warriors again. This is the only instance of people getting dream powers in this entire movie. And he becomes his, his weird superhero... He's got, like, these two guns, and he shoots and kills Freddy, and then Freddy comes back as Super Freddy, wearing a cape. It's Super Freddy. Yeah. uh, Okay. Okay. Fine. We've also established that what he's doing is he's feeding Jacob these souls. He says, soul food for my boy. Yes. All of this does happen later. In this first dream, he does not die. Yeah. But... In fact, she will save him. Alice will save him and get him out of the dream, but she will still be in the dream and again come in contact with her unborn child. Yeah. And he's going to tell her, my friend with the funny hand is calling me. And it's interesting, the similarities Similarities? here between this this and Under the Shadow. shadow. Uh I thought that was really curious. It's about, you know, manipulating a child. I mean, that's, you know, we've seen that before, but I just Turns out the imaginary friend is real. And evil. And evil, yeah, uh uh-huh. So when she wakes up, she realizes, okay, he's doing it through my baby's dreams. So because Kelly Jo Minter is a nurse, she asks her to go and get the doctor All to right. check up on the baby. This is a totally dumb scene. I was like, I was just like, what the hell is going on? She like sees something in the in the uh, ultrasound. Yep. I can't remember what happens. And the doctor is also super suspicious. Like nothing happens. But she, like, sees something in the flashing lights of the ultrasound. The doctor is super suspicious. This is where she sees him 
putting the soul food for my baby, putting the souls in. It was really a weird scene. The doctor ends up calling Dan's parents, who later on will come and threaten to have the baby taken away from her they if want to she adopt doesn't the baby. let them adopt it because she you're, you're obviously having an episode and it's like lady you just want to be in this baby's life right like that's your thing you don't need to threaten her i'm sure she would be happy to no be she that. wants they want to adopt no the baby. that's my problem and now they're like she is acting crazy now at this point like out of hand crazy like i don't just mean Oh, she's being emotional. Like, no, it's like the the mom is acting weird. And in any case, this never comes up again. She gets upset. Hell no, I'm raising my own child. Try to take him away from me. And that's it. That's the end of it. It never comes up again at the end of the movie when we get to see the baby in real life. Those grandparents aren't there. They don't talk about it. It's just a dropped plot thread. <laughs> just wastes time. <laughs> This movie is very forgettable. It's yeah. not very good. We just watched this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's We've seen it like probably two times before this. It's after that we see the whole like drawing scene where yeah. he gets shredded, which I thought was really lame and really weak. It was. He ends up pulling oh. Yvonne. So that's, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. Whatever that driving scene was, whatever the thing was about Amanda Krueger, that all happens with Kelly Jo Minter's scene. It's her dream, and she apparently fell asleep in the hot tub, right? She dreamt that, like, she went into the pool, which was a really scary moment. I thought she yeah. was going to, like, break her neck. On oh, the, yeah, yeah. On she's, the... she's on the high dive, right? Uh-huh. And it, like, comes to life, and it's, like, his claws closing in on her, so she jumps, and she's just in this black space face falling through the air and then she's falling into the pool and Which then we then it, it changes and it fluctuates and instead of being a pool full of clean water it's all dark and dingy and almost waterless she's gonna die that way nope but then something else happens she yeah she's now in the hot tub right yeah yes and then like he, he's closing the hot tub on her no no something happens with amanda krueger i don't know but she's having this dream, and the audience is left, like, thinking that she probably died, I guess, because uh-huh. then we go straight into the other guy's dream. And then, after his dream, we see her wake up and get out of the hot tub. And I was just like, who edited this movie? Alice rescues her. This is what prevents her from getting killed in this dream. Again, he visits a lot of people in dreams in this movie and kills only three of them. And that's what convinces Kelly Joe Minter that... Yes, Freddy really does exist. I know how to help you. I'll go to where Amanda was and I'll find Amanda. Meanwhile, you go into your dream, your baby's dreams, and you confront him. And this is how they're going to confront Freddy. They end up getting Amanda Krueger into the dream world somehow. I don't remember how. They she find finds her. her. She yeah, finds find her. her body. It's very much like a psycho moment. Although I don't know why. We know she's dead. Why why are we surprised that it's... But it's that she's locked away and she was hidden. Like, nobody knew where she was. She just, quote unquote, disappeared. But Yvonne found her in the asylum, in this old broken down asylum, by tearing out bricks, opening up where her body was closed away, freeing her soul. Freeing her soul to damn itself, basically. She's been stuck in this room this entire time. She goes into... The dream world, 
and helps Alice confront Freddy and in the process is going to like she throws him to the maniacs it's hilarious yeah she throws him to the maniacs but it doesn't do anything he just loses an arm yeah he has a thing about losing his arm in this movie yeah uh uh-huh that's my new look (laughs) because like when he goes from a baby to a full adult one too like it's all weird right well when he loses his arm in this moment it turns into spiders for some reason yes it's just tarantulas yeah Yeah, it's uh so random that are painted green and red yes and he's coming after uh, both Alice and Jacob, her son. And she tells him, you know, he won't hurt you because he needs us both. Yeah. So Freddie's like, um, okay, then I'm going to turn this into a labyrinth maze. Yes, it's just a straight ripoff of Labyrinth, which came out three years earlier. Of like an what? MC Escher. Why is this happening? There's the villainous mystery powered antagonist there's the protagonist young woman and then there's the baby that's at stake crawling around upside down on these stairways and then you walk in one door and come out another door and now you're upside down and it's that mc escher thing but specifically in the context of the labyrinth like it's just a straight (laughs) ripoff and then as she's confronting freddie amanda talks to jacob and is like this is our plan and then he comes out and he's like, ah, Freddy, I'm I'm ready to do your bidding. Fuck mom. She sucks. Because Freddy has been telling him lies about yeah, like uh-huh. how she doesn't want him and all this right. stuff. Right. And so when Freddy's like, oh, cool, my own little baby, Amanda is like, now, Jacob, do it now. And he spits all the souls that Freddy's been feeding him. Oh my god, it's really bad. And his makeup is really bad and his voice is really bad. Okay, the concept sucks. What I like is the souls go into Freddy's chest, they come out his back, and it's like they're trying to get to Amanda. And they're pulling him backwards. That visualization of him being dragged backwards by these souls, I actually kind of liked. Probably because it reminded you of the kill from three with the marionette strings. Which I was maybe, way cooler. maybe, but I I did really like that look. Not the death. The concept is weird and vague. It's a lot of that. Back into my womb. Yes, it sucks him back up into her womb. <laughs> And then she goes behind all these doors that he screams through until finally the last one is locked. And I guess and then, she's dooming. And then the other kid souls. goes into the other girl's womb. Yes, Jacob goes back into Alice's womb <laughs> so she can actually give birth to him. And then they're happy and in a park. And that weird black pram that she saw from earlier in the movie in the Dream World is now the actual stroller that they use. I do want to point out that at some point there's like a, like somebody screams or something and it just terrifies you. I think it might be when you see Amanda Kruger and then like, it's supposed to be like as a skull and then it turns into her face. I think that's what happens. And it's like a scream and then it turns into a thank you and the music swells and it's really awkward. Uh I thought it was very strange. And and then we have Vincent Price laughing from Thriller. Yeah, okay, so that's not... If you watch the closed captioning, it says Freddy laughing. And it is very obviously 
Vincent Price from Thriller. Uh huh. That's because the song that plays over the closing credits is Cool Modi's Let's Go. And that's how the song Let's Go begins, is with the laugh from Thriller. Let's go. It's apparently his diss track to LL Cool J. <laughs> and here it is living on the tail end of A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Oh, I was thinking of the cuz. <laughs> I like the nightlife, baby. Bow, 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 bow. So that is A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Yes, it is. Kelsey, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? I think I know. Okay. What is it? 29? It is 29, with the consensus statement being A Nightmare on Elm Street feels exhausted by this cheesy fifth entry, Bogged down by a convoluted mythology while showing none of the chilling technique that kicked off the franchise. Mm-hmm. A Metacritic average of 54. I would say that's, you know, pretty accurate as far as an assessment. But before we give our scores, I want to go down the franchise as a whole so far. Okay. The original, which you can listen to episode number 45 from back in 2018, has a 94. You gave it a 90. I gave it a 95. The remake from the same episode has a 15, you gave it a 30, I gave it a 20. So that's the first movie and the remake. Part 2 has a 41, we both gave it a 70. Underrated by the critics. I think culturally people sort of get it now. Yes. Part 3 has a 74 on Rotten Tomatoes. You gave it an 88 and I gave it an 87. Of course, it's Dream Warriors. (laughs) And then part 4... Dream Master has a 52. We each gave it a 72. Because, like, it's still okay. It's still good Freddy. Mm-hmm. It's not really until this one mm. that things take a turn. Yes, they do. So, would you say that the 29 Rotten Tomatoes is overrated or underrated? I will say it is underrated. A little bit. But by how much? Like I said, I think the Greta death is pretty spooky. Mm-hmm. I think the motorcycle death is kind of cool. Yeah, but it's not scary. No, this movie is not very scary. I think that, yeah, I'm going to give it, I'll give it a 50. I think 50 is a good score. Now, obviously, we didn't like the remake, but this is by far the lowest scoring one we've had. Mm-hmm. It's going to get worse. Yeah. Six there, is real yeah, bad. Yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some bad ones. Six well, is very, very well, bad. you know this. <laughs> the good one we're talking about is New Seven. Nightmare. Yeah, uh-huh. Wes Craven's New Nightmare, where they actually did something fun and interesting and clever with it. His makeup isn't great. Oh, no. It's, it's one of the worst, like, Freddy's visually. <laughs> but I think that's because of the... Like, okay, I think they did a poor job of it, but also is because of... Like, the nature of the story that they're telling there. I suppose. Like, he doesn't even have a glove. Like, the claws are built into his hands, you know? Right. So, a bad decision, but I think they're trying to justify it in the narrative, at least. Anyway, that's the only good one we have from here on out. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) The rest is bad. I'm sorry if you're a big fan of the Nightmare franchise. (laughs) So, that's our classic Mother's Day movie, A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child from 1989. 
Let's move right along to our modern film, 2016's Under the Shadow, written and directed by Baba Kanvari, starring Nargis Rashidi, Avin Manshadi, and Bobby Naderi. I, I do apologize if I pronounced any of those incorrectly. I mentioned last time that I have uh, a friend whose family is from Iran. She goes back there when she can. And when I told her about this movie, I think she saw it. And she said, there's no way in hell they filmed that in Iran. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, why? And it's like, well, there's a scene where she's out on the streets uncovered and they just wouldn't let you do that. It's a plot point in the movie. And as a matter of fact, I looked it up. It was filmed in Jordan. So it wasn't actually filmed in Iran. There you go. What is Under the Shadow about? Back during the Iran-Iraq war in the 80s, a... Mother and her daughter are left alone because her husband is sent off to war. And it is about dealing with living in the middle of a war zone, but also a djinn is uh, after them. Yeah, the movie tells you right away that the djinn sort of feed off of fear and anxiety. And that's what this wartime is doing. It's also the results of the post-revolutionary Iran where things got a lot more conservative. I mean, you'll see photos from the area in like the seventies and stuff. And, you know, you got women wearing miniskirts and stuff. And then there was the revolution, which the revolting party were the conservatives and they took over the country from then on. And they instituted a strict sexist policy against women. Very, they say based in their religion, but a woman can't go outside unless she's covered. She can't, I think, drive unless she has her husband's permission. She can't travel abroad unless she has her husband's permission. Like, it's that kind of world that they're living in right there. After having lived in a much more open and free country before this. So it is about that sort of, like, feminist angle. But it's also kind of the Babadook. There are elements there. But that gin, I, I don't know. Did you get the sense that it was a woman? I mean, it was a woman. They call her they, a woman. When she appears to Dorsa, Dorsa says she's a woman. But I think there was a man we see at one point, too. A naked guy. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. I, I, there's also this motherhood thing going on here. But anyway, the movie is available on Netflix. You can rent it for $3 on Vudu or $5 on Apple TV or $7 on Amazon. You can buy it for $8 on Apple TV and Amazon, or 11 on Vudu. Should people watch Under the Shadow? Yes, but you need to know that it's not really that scary. I wouldn't say it's scary at all, actually. There are some scary parts. I remembered it being very tense and scary, and it wasn't. I, it's very good. I, I recommend that you watch it just because it's good, but just know that it's not that much of a horror movie. I'd forgotten how much it's about dealing with the war. Right. I mean, but but it has the sort of scares where it's like, you know, a woman screams because she's terrified because there's a bunch of banging going on from somewhere. I'll talk about the inspirations for this movie, but that makes me think of The Haunting. It's that kind of scary movie. It's not like a, there's a monster and it's going to get you kind of scary movie. I think I get what you're talking about. It isn't made to be frightening. There's a lot of drama. But you gotta be in that 
headspace. It's got to put you in that place first. And maybe you can, through the power of empathy, go there emotionally, you know? Yeah, I think you should watch the movie. I think it's very good. I don't think every foreign language movie we watch on this show, or I should say, I don't think every foreign language horror movie is good just by default. I think we tend to watch only the foreign language ones that are good. (laughs) We just tend to like them because they probably wouldn't be on the show unless we had heard good things about them. Exactly. Like, we... We probably wouldn't have heard about them if they hadn't been good. Right, exactly. So, there you go. (laughs) You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2016's Under the Shadow. Uh Uh-oh, you're hearing my voice, and that can only mean one thing. There is no English language trailer for Under the Shadow. But you heard us talking about it. You know what it's about. We recommended that you watch it, so just watch it. You don't need a trailer. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Under the Shadow begin? With some text uh, giving us some exposition, telling us about the Iran-Iraq war. Yeah, the Iran-Iraq War is thought to be the longest conventional war of the 20th century, lasting from 1980 to 1988. Throughout the conflict, Iran underwent rapid internal political and cultural transition, a legacy of the bloody 1979 Iranian Revolution. Towards the end of the decade, Iraq launched a series of strategic bombings on Iranian cities. Iran retaliated in the same way. Lives were plunged into darkness, where fear and anxiety thrived which is important because apparently the jinn feed on fear and anxiety yes at least in this world that this filmmaker constructed and i think it's safe to say that the jinn are real in this movie yes i mean there's readings you can do into it i mean everything's a metaphor for the the plight of the modern woman in a repressive legal system and motherhood and yeah it's all a metaphor for stuff but in the context of this film this is really happening we open on our main character Sheeta, which means bright i think trying to work her way back into medical school they do not want her to come back because she was politically active when yeah during the iranian revolution she was She was on the quote-unquote liberal side. Right. Because she was fighting for women's women's rights rights and stuff like that. Et cetera. Uh, Meanwhile, but who won? The conservative side. And because of that, all people that were politically active at that time are now considered deviants and considered like they should feel ashamed Uh of what they did because they were not on the side of... Well, they weren't on the right side. Righteousness, yeah. And so, you know, now she has to walk around completely covered, which it's very important to note that before that happened, they did not, a lot of people did not dress that way in that country, which I didn't know until like early 2000s. Right, because this all happened. I mean, this was, the Iran-Iraq war was happening when I was born. Mm -hmm. And it was ending when you were born. Mm-hmm. 
but the Iranian Revolution happened before either of us were were born. We just were not aware of a pre-revolution Iran. Mm-hmm. Yes. The only and, Iran I've ever known or heard of has been this one. Right. And we're not going to – we are not going to put ourselves up as like – experts in what's going on in Iran now, what went on in Iran then. We only know what we've absorbed. But that's what we're aware of. And so she's trying to just like totally talk badly about herself. She's like, I didn't know anything back then. I was just Mm -hmm. a kid. I was just a stupid kid. She's throwing herself on their mercy. But it doesn't matter. It is not enough. To be clear, she stopped going to medical school which her husband was also going to, in order to engage politically at the time of the revolution. To, to be frank, I'm surprised there was such a thing as female doctors. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised that they were they allowed women to go to medical school. But see, that shows what I know. Right, exactly. And they, they continued to do so after the revolution. It's not like they were saying women couldn't be doctors, but were you politically engaged? Were you a women's liver? Like, then, no, you are a deviant, as you put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they don't let her back in after she's been out of school for five years. Yes. Or I think it might be longer because her kid's older than that. Kid's like eight. She said something about being out of school for five years. Hmm. She waited five years or something. Maybe it's more. Maybe it's seven years or something like that. But yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. They make it very clear that she's under a watchful eye at all times. She has to stop and her car gets looked in by... There's like a checkpoint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When she gets home, she's... And she's been crying on the drive. The woman who watches her daughter notices that she's been crying and she asks her what's wrong. And she goes, you know, they're not going to let me in. She says, oh, darling, it's okay. That's just the climate right now. Yeah. And it's... It, and it's pretty much been the climate ever since. Exactly. Yeah. That's what's really interesting about this is that they didn't think that this would last. It's, uh-huh. You know, it's like when I teach kids about Hitler, it's like, why did anyone let this happen? It's like, well, we they just thought that he was going to be there, you know, for a couple of years, uh-huh. like America had to go through, <laughs> you know, and then he would just go away. But it didn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Didn't go away, unfortunately. And I... It's really sad that they they were hope they hoped right. that it wouldn't. Right, but but as far as uh, Sheeta is concerned, she has tried everything at this point. There is zero hope anymore about pursuing her dream of becoming a doctor. Now her husband will accuse her will accuse it of being her mom's dream because her mom is the one that was like encouraging her to become a doctor when she gets home. And she starts throwing out all of her textbooks in frustration and anger. She comes across the first book she was gifted from her mom and has an inscription from her. And instead of throwing that out, locks it up in a cabinet. Yes. And she says it's his fault because, according to her, he made her feel like she had to stay home for the kid. Uh Uh-huh. And according to him, he's like, no, you were happy to do that. The only reason you want to do this now is because your mom just died. Yeah, uh-huh. there's a very compelling husband-wife moment here, which really makes you feel for Sheeta. When he comes home, he's having a conversation with her. They're sitting on the edge of the bed, and he's, like, commiserating with her about how rough that is and how much that must suck. And in order to, I guess, make her feel better, but also it's a really shitty thing to say, he says, 
Who knows? It's probably for the best. And she looks at him and she pulls her hand away from him. And at that moment, all the lights go out and there's an air raid siren. So this is going to be kind of what's happening. They're in Tehran and there's going to be artillery dropped on Tehran. Yeah, so when you think about the title, you might think under the shadow, under the shadow of war, under the shadow of a djinn, Mm -hmm. but also there is a literal shadow at all times in their rooms because they have to have these X's on the windows by the tape. And so it's just, you know, the constant reminder of what could always happen at any time. They're taping up the windows because if they shatter... You don't want those going everywhere, hurting somebody or anything like that. It's what you do when you transport glass, but that does cast a shadow into the room. Yeah. When they go down to the bomb shelter, when this the lights go out. In the basement, yeah. Th- at this point, everyone in the building is still there. And the little girl, what's her name? Dorsa, which means valuable, precious, and rare, like a pearl. Dorsa goes and whispers to a little boy, and then he hands her something. And you don't get to see what it is, but you do notice later that Sheeta is going to throw it away. Yeah, it's a little bit of cat hair. Yeah. Like a little bundle ball of cat hair. And we'll find out what the boy told her is that it will protect her from the djinn. Mm-hmm. But Sheeta just found it. It's like, what the, what the hell is this trash? And throws it away. During this moment when they go down into the basement, they have to look for Dorsa's doll, Kimia. And that's going to be a common thread throughout the movie. It is the very specific point. It is Dorsa's most valued possession. Yes, but for how valued it is, she is constantly leaving it places. Yeah. <laughs> Just constantly. Hey, I bet all of our listeners out there that have kids know that pain. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get it. At one point, it is taken. I understand Uh that. But before that, there are a couple of times where it's just like, (laughs) where's my doll? And it's like, if it mattered that much to you, you wouldn't be leaving it in random places. Yep. (laughs) But so after that happens, they go back upstairs. You know, they're living there as normal as they can lives. And her husband will get his annual draft notice. Yeah, they're having a conversation about how Dorsa heard somebody walking around last night. And he's going to say to to Sheeta, like, are you sleepwalking again? Are you that anxious that you've started sleepwalking again? And then he shows her the draft notice. He doesn't he show her. He tries, he to, tries put to put hide. it in his pocket. And she's like, what the fuck is that? Well, he has it out. And then they're having that conversation. And then he's like, now's probably not the time. And he pulls it away. And she's like, no, wait, what was that? Yeah, because she's already mad at him just for even suggesting that uh-huh. she might have slept, sleepwalked. And I guess that's supposed to... I, their marriage is definitely strained, but it does feel like she gives him a lot of shit for things. It's she like, does. That didn't see you didn't need to get that upset about that. And she's upset that he's getting his draft notice. What is he supposed to do about that? Right. Well, that he didn't tell her. I guess that he didn't tell the thing, her. The thing is, is that she is going through a very stressful time in her life. And she feels like she's not getting a lot of support. And the important relationships in her life of her husband and her daughter are only multiplying that anxiety, right? And so she will do and react to things 
that might seem unreasonable and like, no, you're wrong. Why would you get upset when somebody said you might be sleepwalking? You've sleepwalked in the past and you wouldn't fucking know if you were sleepwalking because you're asleep. Why would you ever get upset at somebody suggesting that that might be the case? But it's like, oh, your response. It's yet another thing that I'm responsible for, I guess, you know, like so I can understand why she might be upset, but it's not like a reasonable thing to like an actual reasonable conclusion to come to. You know what I mean? And just it reminded me of. Stepford Wives, you know, she yeah. is this bitch. It's like, she's really not. No. Like, I, but that's the kind of culture there, right? Mm-hmm. The Stepford Wives culture is you're supposed to be this perfect wife. And so just the fact that she gets upset about things, it's like, we should we should allow people to be upset. Yeah. If something gets you upset, you shouldn't be like telling them that they can't have those emotions. That's the problem. Yeah. And so I, I think that he's a pretty good husband. Yeah, I mean, he is starting to, like, he's, I, I don't know if he's buying in. No, but I don't like, think he but is. No, but there is that sort of, like, you know, maybe you should just suck it up and deal with it's it. It's that Stepford Wives yeah. mentality. It's, it's the husband from Stepford Wives where it's like, this is really shitty, but it would be nice if you were like this. Uh-huh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because, yeah, he's not losing anything but other than he's losing an independent wife, you know? Right. But I think that he, you know, I don't, he didn't tell her you're not allowed to go and do that, you know? Right. Which he, in that fucking place, he could have done that. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. But it's also easy for him to say because he is a doctor now. Yeah. Well... They have a fight about that. Yeah. And uh-huh. she's just like, and he he says, he's like, you laughed at me for staying and studying. Uh-huh. While you went off and did your thing, I, I stayed in school and now I'm the one supporting us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I can't help what happened. And it's like, well, from her perspective, well, if you had stopped, maybe something would have happened. But it's uh-huh. like, I seriously doubt it. Not, if one other person not had him, stopped. him, but I think he represents the personally to her what the rest of the country what all didn't the other do. Pe- the yeah, complacent uh-huh. people like yeah. the people that didn't necessarily agree with those beliefs but just let it happen uh-huh. but it's like yeah that stuff's hard to talk about it is so we we get to see the rest of their day she exercises to a jane fonda tape on a vhs player yeah and she uses VCR. that as an excuse to just walk away and ignore him uh-huh it's really interesting it is something that she does on her own I say she does. Sheeta, she Sheeta does. We will find out later that they're not supposed to have VCRs. That might be considered seditious. Mm-hmm. Because who knows what you're watching? Uh huh. What, what Western culture are you getting? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw that in that. That also happens like in Persepolis. Yeah. You know, um, where they they're walking. She's walking through the crowd, and people are all whispering to her. I have this tape. I have this tape. I have uh-huh. this tape. You know. And she stops and buys one. And you know, it's just like when Dorsa, although she doesn't exactly look entertained, when Dorsa's sitting there watching MTV videos. MTV. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's pretty great. But yeah, they find out that they're going to send her husband to Elam, which is right in the middle of the fighting. Yeah, but before he finds out where he's going, he gets stopped in the garage. Oh, yeah. By the guy who this owns fucking shit. the apartment complex that they live in. <laughs> the landlord, yeah. And he's like, you gotta tell your wife to uh, close the gate properly. And he's and again, like, this is kind of badass. What makes you so sure it's my wife? Yeah. Well, she's the only woman who right. drives. Yeah. 
it's not me and it's not you. And there's only one other dude and uh-huh. I'm pretty sure it's not him. Uh-huh. So it's gotta She's be her. She's the only woman who drives here so it must be her. But yeah. it does seem like it's just because be she's woman. a woman. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. But he suggests that since he is leaving, he's getting drafted and he's going right into the middle of the fighting. But he is a doctor. So there's a benefit there, at least, where he might not actually be the one fighting. He, he'll be in the middle of a war zone, but he won't be fighting. You know, he suggests that they go to his parents in the north. Yes, because he's really worried that. Iraq is going to send missiles to mm-hmm. Tehran. And they do. They do. They do. They absolutely do. And she refuses to believe these rumors. And it's like, I don't think it's necessarily that she doesn't believe them. It's just more that she doesn't want to go to his family. Because as she says, his family makes her feel like a burden when she's there. Uh-huh. So she'd just rather not go. Yeah. It's like, you're... But it's like, it's not just about you, which is what I think he's constantly saying. It's also about Dorsa. Right. And she tries to pull this fucking bullshit when it's like, okay, I'm sorry. I know it sucks. I know you shouldn't have to leave your home. It sucks to do that. But like, you have a daughter to worry about right now. And this shit is actually happening. Suck it up, Sheeta. You know, like, it sucks to say that. But like, yeah. Oh, no, she shouldn't have to leave her home. She's just a child. Yeah, she is just a child, and it is your job to protect her. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's what I'm saying. Sheeta isn't, like, always right. She isn't some bastion of virtue or anything like that. She's just a human woman who deserves to be able to control her life and make her own decisions. So the first night that the husband is gone, Dorsa will wet the bed, uh, and so Sheeta will very... Nicely, but also irritatedly take care of the situation. And she tells Dorsa to go to the bathroom to to undress. And she's like, I'm afraid to go out there alone. And she does like, what are you afraid of? And she tells, this is the first time we hear that there is a gin in the yeah, building. Yeah, so Medi, who is, <laughs> well, okay, we'll get to the description of Medi in a little bit. She's a little boy, he is the little boy who gave her the cat ball, the cat hair ball, right? Medi told her about the gin. And so when Sheeta goes to Medi's aunt the next day, the next day, and is like, hey, it's not a big deal. I know they're just kids, they're just talking, they're just having fun. But when Medi was telling her about the gin, Dorsa got kind of freaked out and she's been having nightmares. So maybe you could talk to Medi, have him not like have that conversation with her anymore. And she's like, <laughs> No, you're wrong. Medi didn't tell her that. And you're like, okay, I know you don't want to believe that, but, you know. She's like, no, Medi hasn't spoken a word since his parents died and we started taking care of him. He doesn't talk. There's no way he told her that. Dorsa will go on to say, no, he he whispered it to me. Like, yeah, the aunt's kids. So she has two kids and then there's Medi, who she describes as creepy she says the boy is creepy my husband doesn't like it when i yeah, say it but it's the boy is creepy it's my <laughs> husband's nephew <laughs> he's creepy uh, so she has two kids and then she's also taking care of her nephew um but dorsa says yeah the other kids like we talk and everything but no medi came up and he whispered into into my ear like he talked to me I don't think Dorsa ever specifically says that he, like, whispered it to her or anything. I say, uh, Dorsa says the aunt's kids also told her stories, but Medi whispered in her ear. Oh, well. When Sheeta is talking to that lady, 
she tries to say, well, but it's stupid because jinn aren't real. And the woman will get kind of offended and be like, they are real. Yeah. This she's isn't... very, like, superstitious and religious. This isn't a thousand and one nights, but they are in the Quran, and that means that they are real, and that shuts Sheeta up. Uh, she's like, okay, I guess I won't. She's not going to say <laughs> anything against it. the Quran. Right, yeah. I'm already on thin ice with a lot of people culturally here. Speaking of a thousand and one nights, if you like storytelling board games, you should play Tales of Arabian Nights. So much it's fun. So much fun. So much fun. And uh, the people that don't like it are crazy. <laughs> it's like a role playing game in a board game, and you just tell stories with your friends based on the decisions that you make. And you go all around the Middle East and you just experience sort of modifications of the stories that happen in A Thousand and One Nights. Oh, yeah. You can just buy it on their website for 60 bucks, which is an incredible price. For everything you get in that box. Yeah. It is, that's a $100 box, and you can get it for $60 on Z-Man Games. That's nice. So, like, the next night or whatever, they're having a, an argument about Jin, but that's when there is going to be a missile that actually hits the building, and is going to cause an old man to have a heart attack. And even though she's trying to deal with her daughter, who's freaking out about her doll, I believe, at the moment, she's trying to deal with that. These people come to her and they say, you went to medical school. Yeah. You're the best she's thing like, we've got. She's like, I'm not a doctor. And they're like, you're the closest thing we have. Please come and help our father. Yeah. He's dying. I will, and one of them is like, I'll take care of Dorsa. Meanwhile, Dorsa is just crying her eyes out saying, don't, don't leave, leave me. me. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's like, what are you going to do? I would leave my daughter in that situation. I would too. You have people there that you can trust and you're the only one, you're the best, you're in the best position to help. Yes. And when she gets in there, it's a really great shot of her seeing the missile just oh, yeah. sitting in Unexploded. this guy's living room. Yeah. <laughs> and they're expecting her to go and help this guy. Uh-huh. And so they get him out of the chair. She does CPR. Situation. And eventually she has to give up. He's gone. So they're waiting outside for a while while the uh, paramedics come and take the body. What I really it, appreciated, uh -huh. though, is that they didn't get upset with her about this. They didn't blame well, her. Well, we'll see that in just a second when they when they go back inside. I just want to explain that the crane comes and takes the missile away. And then they put a tarp over the ceiling. They will be left with a bulging crack in their ceiling because that that old man who died that apartment is right above theirs so there is a sort of bulging crack in in their in their ceiling from the tip of the missile having hit the floor of the apartment above them but yes the next day the daughter of that old man will come to her and give her these beautiful flowers as a thank you for trying to save my father's life i know you couldn't but you tried and She's like, yeah, he had a heart attack. There was kind of nothing we could do. You know, he was in shock. When it happened, he was fine when it happened. I went to go get him something, some water, and and then he had the heart attack. She's like, no, it was just shock. And the daughter's like, no, he saw something. He was fine when the missile hit. And then he saw something that scared him to death. But anyway, I just wanted to give you this, say thank you, and let you know we're out of here. We're going to take him back to where he wants to be buried. Uh -huh. But she's like, isn't that right in the middle of the war? And they're like, what he, can you he do? Wanted to, he wanted to be buried at home. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And when she is walking through her apartment after that, she notices that her mother's picture is cracked. Yeah. So the next day or that night, uh, Doris is going to have another terrible dream. And she now she can't find the doll anywhere. She thinks that the djinn took her when Kimia was left alone because they couldn't find her when that missile hit. And because of this, like, she's getting legitimately sick. Uh-huh. And so Sheeta is going to try to get her to eat. And she promises her that she can sit there and watch TV all day if she just eats. But because she made that promise, a guy is going to show up and, like, be fixing something in her apartment. Mm-hmm. And Dorsa is going to say, can you put the movie on now, Mom? Yeah, can you put on the VHS? But you pro... And she's like, not around these other people. She said, but you promised. And it's like, no, you know, we're not supposed to have this. It can be taken away from us. Do not talk about it when there are other people here. Doesn't matter what I promised. Yeah, but kids... Dealing with kids, man. Kids don't understand. Of course they can't. Why would they be able to? Like, rationally, you think, shut the fuck up. We'll talk about it after the person's gone. That's not what they're thinking. They're thinking, this is what I want, and you told me I could have it. Where is it? Mm-hmm. Then she finds out that their family, the guy who runs the building, they're going to leave, too. Yeah. And she's like, shit, well, then we've got to go. Like, we can't be the only people living in this building. Yeah, there are a lot of people that leave. So, like, obviously, Medi and his aunt... That whole family is getting ready to leave. This is when we get this is not a thousand and one nights. And and she also tells Sheeta, if they take a possession from you, something that you treasure, you are marked and they will always be able to find you. So she's the one who actually believes. Uh, she'll take Dorsa to the hospital. And on the way home, when Dorsa's sleeping in the backseat because she's so sick and this flu is not breaking, this fever is not breaking, uh, she'll find Medi on the street, that creepy boy. And she'll pick him up. And he'll ask, where did her doll go? Where's her doll? And so Sheeta's like, oh, my God, you do talk. You did talk to my daughter. And then they get home. That's when they find out that Medi's family is leaving. And they're like, do you want us to leave you behind? So they get out. The babysitter lady that she constantly leaves Dorsa with when she's doing whatever she running errands or whatever she needs to do. They're gonna she's going to go. They're going to go stay with their son in Paris. Yeah. Uh, and, and she gives her access to books that she has. She has a lot of books. And among those books are these – she has. She finds an anthropological book on spirits, uh, and which says, where there is fear and anxiety, the winds blow. Yes. Uh, also, during this time, like I said, there is a day where she just sits there and watches MTV videos. It's really Dorsa funny because she doesn't yeah. even seem that entertained by them. No. But what's sad is – Sheeta is going to realize that her music, her exercise tape has gone missing Mm -hmm. and is now being destroyed. And you're supposed to think that it's Dorsa doing it because she's acting out because she's so upset. Yeah, because later she'll find it in the trash. And it still could be that, but we're also supposed to be thinking that Dorsa is being taken over by the djinn. So like we said, if they take- Oh, I wasn't thinking that. Oh, you weren't thinking that? No, I was thinking they they were taking possessions of theirs. The possession they take from her is her book. It is. Described by the mother. But they're trying to cause strife between the mother and daughter. Yes, but I thought- that didn't they say that if they take one of your stuff, they can take you over? Well, yes, they do want to take you, but how they do that is by taking your possessions and then you're marked. And once you're marked, 
They can find you wherever you go, and there's no getting away from them, and eventually they will take you. They want to take Dorsa. They also want Sheeta, of course, but, like, Dorsa's the more, like, prime meat target. And in order to take Dorsa, they need to convince Dorsa to come with them. And so they're constantly like, you know, your mother doesn't want to find Kimia. Your mother took Kimia and wants to hurt Kimia. And you should come with us because your mother doesn't love you anymore. And like, these are the sorts of things that they're whispering to Dorsa, trying to turn Dorsa against Sheeta. And Sheeta is having this like, you know, the anxieties of a parent is starting to like resent her child. So that's building up in her as well. But when she decides to leave because everyone else has left, of yeah. course, Dorsa won't go until they find Kamiya. So she promises, all right, if I find her, you'll go with me. Okay, yes, okay. So she tears the house apart. And I could have sworn when she grabs the key at one point to open up her... So she has a drawer that she's locked that she put her textbook from her mom in. She hides the key on top of like a hutch. And when she reaches for that key, Kelsey saw what? It looks just like the doll. There's like a color fabric that you can see. I would want to go back to see what's up. on. Oh, because we do see what's up on top of that hutch when she puts it there in the first place. Mm. So I want to see if maybe it's something else. But it is like this white and red blur that could potentially be Kimia. But that doesn't go anywhere. So it I'm doesn't. like, it's probably not that, but yeah. that's what it looked like. Mm -hmm. But so she can't find it, no matter how hard she looks. So they go to bed for the evening, right? And that night, she's going to see, I guess, a naked guy? Okay, yeah. But we don't know if that's the gin or not. I think it is. Just, like, watching them. But the gin is usually portrayed as a woman in this film? Yeah, I guess that's a good point. There is an inconsistency there. This is, like, the one time that, like, she'll see a man in her apartment. And... There's no other instance where they present as human. So is it just like a strange man who's wandering around the empty apartment building and they're the only ones in there? And so she can say, you know, fuck the gin, fuck the war. There's like a terrestrial problem I have right now with a dude, naked man wandering around. She freaks out. They can't find her. Dorsa's talking about this woman that she's been talking to, which will, which we know is the djinn, scoops Dorsa up in her arms and then runs out screaming for help because there's the stranger in her apartment. And she ends up getting picked up by people who are like, what the hell are you doing out on the streets uncovered at night? Mm -hmm. And sure enough, the officials admonish her. You should be ashamed of yourself. But they end up letting her go with a warning. Because, I think because they got bigger things to deal with. Well, because a woman... Oh, yeah, a woman, a woman in, vouches in for her. the government building, yeah, was vouching for her. Right. But, yeah, and the woman tells her, you shouldn't have done that. You know that the the punishment is lashings. Yeah. My God. I know. I just can't. I can't imagine that. I can't um, imagine that. Yeah, so here's the, it's weird, the note I have here, it's kind of out of order. She's arrested for being outside uncovered when she runs with Dorsa after seeing the man in her home. She ran after him after having originally seen him in the apartment, only to catch the tip of the missile, which, as you remember, had been taken away previously by the crane right after it hit. But she sees the tip of the missile poking through her ceiling. Does she? And then it retreats back. I thought that was supposed to be the gin being a weird Maybe. visual. Right. 
Well, obviously, this is the thing of the gin. The missile's not there. I didn't realize it was supposed to be the tip of the missile, yeah. though. I thought it was just the gin looking. But it, like, retreats back into the apartment upstairs through the hole in their ceiling and closes back to a crack. Which, by the way, is where Dorsa is so convinced Kamiya is. I don't, if I was, if I was Sheeta, I would just go up there and break down the door. Yeah, me At too. this point. Mm-hmm. Why not? Just confirm it. Yeah. But maybe she's scared. I don't know. When she gets home, she ends up taping up the crack, just like she tapes the windows. And we haven't mentioned, but the tape is constantly peeling back. But then there's also some confusion as to whether that's just happening in her dreams or if it's also happening in real life. Because she has bad dreams, too. Both her and Dorsa. True. One of the bad dreams you mentioned earlier, there's this cool sort of David Fincher camera moment where... Sheeta's having a bad dream and then she wakes up and we have that shot of she's lying on in bed, but she's vertical in the frame. And then as she sits up, the camera sort of follows her on a rotation like a Fincher movie might do. Right. And it really reminded me of the Babadook. Sure. Yeah. I mentioned before, this is kind of like an Iranian Babadook sees her kid at the foot of her bed and like freaks out. Ah, God. And then you know, calls her into bed and holds her because she had a bad dream too and then rocks her and then the camera sort of rocks with her. Again, keeping her pinned to the center of that shot, which is, as I said, very David Fincher. That's what he does. Watch his movies. His cameras follow his characters. It's around this point where they talk about the woman. It's like a sheet, but makes the frame of a woman, kind of. Yeah. And Sheeta will ask Dorsa about it, and Dorsa says, she comes whenever you're not around. She says that she can look after me and that you can't. Yeah. And Sheeta's like, she's not real. And then Dorsa's like, but you said you saw her too. Yeah, uh-huh. And Dorsa will do that again later as well. <laughs> uh, at one point, as much as Sheeta tells her it's not real, it's not real, she also... Like, when they find Kamiya locked in her drawer, Sheeta will say, it's the djinn trying to make us turn against each other. And Dorsa will say, but you said they weren't real. Yeah. <laughs> and Sheeta will go, whatever. <laughs> Just fucking, ah! <laughs> <laughs> but so, Dorsa tells her, if you can't find Kamiya, I'll go with her. And, like, they get in, like, an actual physical alter altercation. Yeah. Uh, because I think Sheeta slaps her. And then she bites, and then she Dorsa bites Sheeta. Uh-huh. That night, I believe, is when she's going to have a really creepy dream. But mm -hmm. I didn't write anything down. Do you know what the dream is? I don't remember it, no. It's, it was very creepy, though. Some good visuals. You'll have to put it on Twitter. But after they find the doll, suddenly her fever breaks. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Oh, the doll, by the way, is ripped apart. And she uses the tape that she's been putting on the windows and on the ceiling to tape her up like she's gone to the doctor. Which I'm just like, I don't believe that she wouldn't have needle and thread. Right. Sure. Yeah. It is the 80s. <laughs> Everyone had a needle and thread. I had a needle and thread in the 80s. <laughs> But so they're, they finally have the doll, so they're like, all right, let's get the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. And this was a cool shot. I thought this was well done. They're running down the hall, and she hears Dorsa screaming for her. Uh-huh. 
And Dorsa's begging her, don't listen, come with me. But Dorsa's also like wearing this coat and the hood is up and you can't really see her face. And she keeps like looking down uh-huh. or away and things are getting in her face. And and so she does like, fuck this, I'm not going to be tricked. But she is being she tricked. She is being tricked, yeah. She goes uh-huh. and checks. It's not her. It is it is the lady. Now she, they've been separated. But she runs away. She comes back, gets Dorsa. Uh-huh. It's, it, you know, it's a really creepy shot and a good idea, but it doesn't go anywhere right is the problem she goes up there she finds out it's not dorsa it's scary she runs back she gets dorsa like nothing really happens i love the way that the gin moves in this movie it's it's a cloth in the shape of a woman also i mean you could say that it's a metaphor like a burka or a shador or however you pronounce that where, yeah, it's a black sort of opening around the face, but covers everything else. And it is very colorful, though. It's like white and purple flower Im- imprints or whatever it like on blue it. blue and white. Or blue, maybe it is. It's a white field with like a purple or blue or something like flower design on it. But it moves, it like it pulls from the head, like it flies behind it. Like imagine you have a styrofoam ball and you wrap a cloth around it. And you tie at the bottom of that ball and you have the rest of the cloth trailing behind it. And then you put like a string or something at the top and then you fly it around like that where it's the the top is moving and then all the rest follows behind it, flows behind it. That's the way the gin moves around in this. And like it goes in the door and then closes the door behind her. Like the, it's really creepy movements. You're like, oh, shit. There's especially one in this moment in I think it's the basement when she's looking for Dorsa. and the fabric just fills the room. It just spreads out and it fills the entire room. And she has to toss through it in order to get to Dorsa. I remember that being a way scarier scene. Than the second time you saw it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she, we have a moment like the stairs in A Nightmare on Elm Street where the floor turns into tar that she's sinking into, but she's eventually able to get out when she does go up into that room and to the trap, yeah, there it is kind of creepy. It's Dorsa with that hood again, but when she looks up this time, it's just a giant mouth. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's just teeth. Yeah, giant teeth. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, they do get out. They're able to go back up the stairs and get out of the building, get in the car. Leaving the gate wide open. Bursting through that gate, yes, and leaving that wide open, which is great. But Um, unfortunately... Yeah, unfortunately, the head, Kimia's head, is left behind. And the book was left behind. And the book was left behind. Which means that they are marked. Mm Mm-hmm. And the djinn will always be able to find them. Which, again, metaphor, they're marked by the war and by the society. Yeah, this is forever going to follow them for the rest of their lives, right? Yes, the immediate threat of the djinn is a problem solved, but... I've heard it described as them representing this existential threat that's all around them, coming from multiple directions. Despite the fact that you've escaped that immediate threat, can you ever escape the existential one? No, is what it is what this movie is saying, effectively. <laughs> if you ask the director and writer, Baba Kanvari, he'll tell you that it's not my job to tell you how to interpret it. If you just want to watch a cool ghost story and that's what you get out of it, that's awesome. I could not be happier. <laughs> but if you read into some metaphor or whatever, or you know more about the culture and you get more out of it, like, great. Like, there's not, there. it's not my job as the person who made it to tell you how to interpret it. I made it, I put it out there, and now it's yours. You do with it as you will. 
which I think is pretty cool. He also talks about how his influences were the uh, the apartment trilogy, Polanski's apartment trilogy, including Rosemary's Baby, of course, the Innocence, the Haunting. So these are so, sort of his uh, his Western influences, but he also has Iranian influences, A Separation, and About Ellie, which are from Iranian director Osgar Farhadi, and The Report from 77, which is also Iranian. And then he mentions Let the Right One In, which is the original version of that story. And uh, in general, J-horror. Like, he's really into J-horror. So, you know, you're talking like your your Ringus, your Juans, things like that. So, anything else to say about Under the Shadow, Kelsey? I think it's very good, and I think it's really sad to see that that's what they're dealing with. Yeah, I mean, we talk about it like it's the 80s, and and the, the war was happening at that time specifically, but that... Society is still there. Yes. Yeah. It is still a legal issue. You do have, legally speaking, women are second-class citizens, and that's kind of fucked. I will say that much, not knowing enough about, you know, the specifics of everything. That, at least, is totally fucked. So, what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? I think I know. Fine. What do you think you know it to be? Isn't it 99? It is 99. Jesus. Under the Shadow deftly blends seemingly disparate genres to deliver an effective chiller with timely themes and thought-provoking social subtext. Now, again, Rotten Tomatoes is the percentage of people, is the percentage of professional critics who liked the movie overall. It's not their score of the movie. Mm-hmm. So 99% of professional critics that watched and, and reviewed under the Shadow, had positive things to say about it, which is not surprising. It's Metacritic, which is an average rating, is 83. Much closer to what I would give it. Well, what would you give it? So yeah, so I think 99 is overrated. Yeah. Uh, 83 is just under what I was going to give it. I, was I would give too. it an 85. I think 85 is great. I think, we, man, this week we are exactly the same. We gave a 50 to A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The <laughs> Dream Child, and 85's all around for Under the Shadow. Yeah. There you go. It is a great movie. It is good. I wish it was scarier. Yeah, for sure. It's not like t- as terrifying. But it's like it's like a little I don't want to say vignette, but like exploration of one woman's fear and anxiety during a very turbulent time. And you could say that it's social, you can say that it's political, you can say that it's religious, you can say that it's motherhood. Like there's a lot going on here. Yeah, in the guys, subtext. before we talked about this, I went to Chris and I was like, oh, this episode could be a very long one. There's so <laughs> many themes to talk about. And we decided yes. that, A, we don't know the culture well enough to give as much insight as we would like to. So, and B, it is it is a ton of layers of metaphor. But I think... I think you guys are smart enough to understand. Right. And I think we we hit on the surface level enough. You can get how it relates to everything else, I think. Otherwise, we'd be sitting here for a long Forever. time. Forever, yeah. I think, and the, the awful thing is, is there's not a lot of English language conversation about this movie. Like, you go online and you search for reviews or essays or stuff like that. They just don't exist. 
It's a I, shame. It, it was um, so it's a co-production by a bunch of different countries, including the UK. So the British Film Institute, like nurtured a lot of this movie right and so they put on their own screening of it they did a Q&A the article where he mentions his influences is from the BFI's website but like that's your only source for a lot of this stuff they're just there's just not a lot of English language conversation about it I don't know if there's Persian conversation about it to be clear Farsi is the language sometimes called Persian Persian is a culture it's an ethnicity Iranian is a nationality, but a lot of times those words are used sort of interchangeably. Yeah, there wasn't a lot that I had access to. So I really hope that there's more like Persian conversation about this, but who knows? And that is our Mother's Day weekend with... Happy Mother's Day. Yeah, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. 1989's A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, and... 2016's Under the Shadow. Kelsey, what are we watching next week? Next week is Friday the 13th. Oh my God, it is. Yeah, so we are on to Friday the 13th, part five. Oh man. We just watched Nightmare 5. Now we're going to watch Friday the 13th, part five. And you know what? Why not just make it complete and watch Scream 5 with it? Because we haven't watched We haven't seen that. We've been... I know it's been out for forever. Mm-hmm. We've been waiting to watch it for we the show. We haven't watched it specifically because we knew we'd be watching it for the show. So we're finally getting to it. Friday the 13th, part five, which is what? A new beginning. Oh, fun. I think this is the one that doesn't have him. Is it? It's the one where it's somebody else? This is the one where it's Jar- Tommy Jarvis. Dead. Doesn't Tommy Jarvis wake him up first, though? Does that happen first? I think he wakes him up in the next. I don't remember. It's hard to keep track of. But we'll this, find out. Th- yeah, it, we will. It's it's all nonsense, whatever. <laughs> if you love or hate this franchise, you have to admit it's all nonsense. <laughs> so that is next week. Until then, you can always find us on our website, podcemetery.com, or on Twitter, at podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. But even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends, and even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Kids, always a disappointment. She's got to be quiet. Let's see how long she lasts. <laughs> so, like, one second. You just can't be quiet to save your life, can you, child? <laughs> that will have to do. We are continuing the Nightmare on Elm, Fr- Elm Fries. Hey! What?
What is it? No one is paying attention to me. She wants you on her lap. It's a boy! Very... Uh, had Super Shredder already come out? No. Oh. I don't think so. I was thinking the same thing. No, it hadn't. Oh, no, he's making a Superman joke. Oh, my God, I'm so yeah. dumb. How do, how, do, how, do I, how do I put this? Anyway, that is next week for Friday the 13th. Woo, woo. There's only, wait, there's two of those. There's another one coming up in November, I think, right? Or is that next year? Yeah, no, the next Friday the 13th is in January. And then November. No, next one is October. January, October. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking of. But then October, ooh, an October Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. 